0: Thank you for that. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 2 this evening, please. Second Timothy chapter 2. And let's go ahead and stand. And we'll begin in verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. And let's pray. And Lord God, once again, we pray for your power to help us, that it would help me to speak your words faithfully and it would help us to receive them, to <clears throat> understand the Christian life and your expectation and above all, the divine ability that you have provided for us and I pray your help tonight then in Jesus name amen and you may of course be seated well we know by now the framework of second timothy paul is in jail he is fully expecting rightly so that the death sentence against him will soon be fulfilled <clears throat> Timothy is his closest friend, his most faithful companion. Paul claims in Philippians 2 that they share the same soul. Paul thinks of him as a son. And Paul is encouraging him. Beseeching him at times. To remain faithful to the Lord. Many of Paul's companions. Excuse me. Most likely including some that he has personally. Led to Christ. Have now found it inconvenient to be associated with him. And have either. Left the area or. Left the practice of Christianity. Entirely. He says that Alexander the coppersmith has done him much evil, and as is always the case, God's enemies try to take advantage of every opportunity to cause trouble for the work of Christ. Our world is not fundamentally different than Timothy's world. The history of the United States has been one in which the practice of Christianity has oftentimes found a sympathetic home. But even at the best of times, true believing Christianity <clears throat> has been a minority practice. And, of course, increasingly we are seeing pressure from our culture and our civilization that are going to make it always more difficult to practice as a Christian, always more unpopular, and therefore always more jeopardy of the price exacted of us to be very high. When I was a young pastor, and I think this is true of most of my peers, we graduated Bible college hoping that if it came to it, we would have the strength to stand for the Lord and take whatever came our way. I don't think that any of us thought that we'd be in our mid to late 60s or even 70s and have to make good on those commitments, but it could happen. And depending upon at this moment what state you live in, we are pretty insulated in our red state, but depending upon what state you live in, you may be called to stand for your faith sooner rather than later. It is not simply that Paul wants Timothy to be loyal to him. Paul wants Timothy to be loyal to Christ. And more than that, I propose to you from the passage this evening that what Paul wants is for Timothy to orient the entirety of his life not around pastoral ministry, <clears throat> not around Paul, not around people, but around the Lord Jesus Christ that is I believe the sentiment of one through seven if we just look at the verses and we will and then in verse number eight which we will get to Lord willing next week and that passage Paul goes on to celebrate the excellencies of Christ what should Timothy do In a world in which Christianity is under assault, in a world in which Christian people, professing Christian people, are walking away, men like Demas who are getting out of town rather than face the heat of persecution, what should a Christian do? And the Christian should orient himself completely thoroughly and totally to Christ. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, to cover some familiar territory, we dealt with them extensively last week. Believers are to get their strength from him. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. This comes on the heels of the first mention of defection and the celebration of the loyalty of Onesiphorus. All that are in Asia are gone, but Onesiphorus, now he often refreshed me. You then, I pointed this out, you then, Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.1, you then, thou therefore, not you then, don't be like the defectors, but you shouldn't be like the defectors, not you then, be an Onesiphorus, but we should be an Onesiphorus, you then, be strong in the grace that is found in Christ. Christ is the source of our strength. So that you will be able, verse number 2, to do the work that a church is supposed to do. Part of the church's ministry is the evangelization of the lost. And part of the church's ministry is the instruction of the saints. Instruction in the faith, committing these things to faithful men who will then be able to teach others so that Christianity will exist in perpetuity. So that there will always be somewhere, whether they be meeting in secret or in the most public of places, there will always be a people who believe the Bible who are committed to the exercise and practice and the propagation of their faith. And I would suggest to you folks that to do verse number two requires the strength of verse number one for two reasons, at least two reasons. Two reasons that are developed in 2 Timothy. Why do we need strength from God in order to do the work of perpetuating the faith? Reason number one, excuse me, is that people are fickle. People are fickle. Did not Paul attempt to commit truth to Demas? Did Paul not attempt to communicate the truth of the Bible to men like him? That was Paul's entire life. People are fickle. It is the nature of human beings. They are fickle and they are feeble. And folks, if we are not endued with a supernatural strength, we will never withstand the pressures of our society, for they are supernatural in their own right. There is a Satan who is the God of this world, who is the energy behind the rebellion and the false doctrine and the heresy, and simply believing that a long-standing tradition of being in church or having raised our children in church is not merely enough to keep them faithful, strong in the grace that comes, Christ. Reason number two is that the rewards are in the future. The payoff for this, folks, rarely comes in this life. There are blessings. There are encouragements. There are people who come to Christ. There are times that we help. There are people like Onesiphorus that God brings our way. Charles Spurgeon, when a young man became pastor of the largest Baptist church in the world, every once in a while, he would say to his congregation, and for them, the evangelistic service was the Sunday night service. People would go to their own churches on Sunday morning, and churches like his would have their evangelistic service on Sunday night, And he would say to his people, don't don't come tonight, stay home, leave room for visitors to come and hear the gospel message. His sermons went in print around the British Empire. And yet Spurgeon found himself at times so discouraged in the work of the ministry that he would go for months at a time to the south of France. And it is, he said, the lot of the minister to labor in discouragement. This is what we have, folks. This is not depressing. I'm not supposed to be depressing. This is not jaundiced. This is not the sky is really falling. These are biblical realities, and I will attempt to prove that by the second point. In the message, point number one, Timothy, you must be strong in Christ. It must be his strength, not yours, that carries you through the day. Because, secondly, Timothy, you must be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse number three, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. You'll notice that Paul transitions into this thought with another you then everybody in Asia has departed, Onesiphorus was a refreshment. You then be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Teach the Bible to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You then, you then, endure hardness. You then, endure hardness. Hardness. Oftentimes when we come to that word endure, it has the idea of patience, but that is not the word that is found here. It is literally endure trouble. Endure trouble. If you look at verse number 9, Here is the same word, wherein I suffer trouble. I suffer trouble. If you'll look over, I don't know how it lays in your Bible and mine, it's just on the other side of the page, to chapter 4 and verse number 5. Watch thou in all things, here it is again, endure afflictions. Three of the four uses of this word in the Bible are found right here in 2 Timothy. And the only other use of the word is James chapter 5 and verse number 13 where the question is posed, is any afflicted? Is anybody suffering trouble? Which of course kind of begs the question, doesn't it folks? What is it about this that causes so much trouble how can something so noble and so beneficial cause so much trouble here is the instruction thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier this is what good soldiers do you can find it all over the place, folks, if you wanted to go to the internet. You can find all kind of archived footage of soldiers from World War One or World War II or the Civil War. Universally, the pictures convey a miserable existence of hardship. Living outdoors, living in a trench. Somebody trying to kill you cold, hungry, frightened. This is the lot of a soldier. And what Paul does now is go on to illustrate the life of a Christian in three ways. And although he is talking to Timothy, he has now begun to expand his range of vision to beyond the pulpit and out into the pew. In other words, folks, these verses are for you, not just for me. Unless there be any question about that, I would just refer you back to verse number 14 of these things, put them in remembrance. Here are the three analogies, here are the three illustrations. God views us as his soldiers, God views us as athletes, God views us as farmers. These are the three illustrations that he used to describe the life of a believer. In this passage, what are we to the Lord? We are his army. We are his team. We are his farmers. These three analogies share some similarities and some distinctions. The similarity is this, folks. Whether we are talking about the soldier or the athlete or the farmer. We are talking about somebody who is engaged in a present struggle. In anticipation of a future reward. They are enduring now. They are not receiving now. They are enduring now. They are awaiting the reward. Look, for instance, at verse number 4. No man that warreth." and I just want to remind you again that in our King James Bible, it's very helpful grammatically. They're not just trying to be old in their use of English. An E-T-H ending on a verb almost always signals the idea of continuity. No man that is always engaged in war entangleth, another E-T-H ending. No man who is involved in the ongoing process of warfare is engaged in the ongoing process of being entangled in the affairs of this world. Whatever they might be, Paul does not elaborate. He's just simply pointing out that the soldier has made a commitment to the battle, and that is his occupation, and that is his focus, and he does that so that he might please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Look at verse number five. If a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Notice that it's a future consideration. If he is right now in the strife, the crown is still in the future. Look at verse number 6, the husbandman that laboreth. There's that E-T-H ending again. So we have three distinct analogies. God's people are like soldiers, they're like athletes, they're like farmers. But this is the universal attribute. They are doing something now that will pay off in the future. That will be rewarded in the future. Let's be realistic, folks. This is one of the things that at times makes the practice of Christianity so difficult. Is that the payoff never does seem to really come? We sing from victory unto victory, but we rarely live victory unto victory. Quite the contrary, we often live and labor without apparent success, without apparent fruitfulness. I was talking to a pastor not terribly long ago. We're about the same age, reflecting upon our lives of ministry, and we just both agreed that it is overwhelmingly characterized by the sense of failure not success. That the vast majority of efforts to help do not really help at all. And I still point out, and this is now 41 years at least after I first heard it, Jack Heil's son stand in front of a class and say to us, gentlemen, here's the hard part about the ministry, you will spend your life trying to help people who really don't want to be helped. There is, folks, a difficulty to this, and we are denying the truth to pretend that it is otherwise when it is that way by the will and decree of God. Now, I know, I know that what people want is to find some version of Christianity and church where it's always thrilling and always exciting and always upbeat. But that is not the picture that the Bible paints. So there are three analogies. We are soldiers, we are athletes, we are farmers. There is one similarity. We are laboring today in anticipation of a future outcome. And then there are three distinctions each one of the analogies points us in a little bit of a different direction when it comes to being a soldier our orientation is to the one who chose us to be a soldier we got drafted I think the point Paul is making is that we are not distracted by this life. We live in this world. We are allowed to enjoy this world. But the world is not our home, and it is certainly not our focus. And we do not live for its pleasures, and we do not live for its approval. We live for Christ. When it comes to the athlete, verse number 5, our orientation is to the rules. If a man also strive for the masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. We all know the old saying, folks, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. But biblically, We must play the game by God's rules. And when Paul uses the word lawfully here, he's not talking about the law of Moses. I think that we could go back and reference Paul in 1 Corinthians here, that first of all, above all things, we are obedient to Christ's message. The word of the cross And we are obedient then to God's methodologies, the proclamation of the Bible. It really will not do us any good, folks, to come up with our own formulas for success if at the end of the games we are disqualified for not playing by the rules. So our orientation as a soldier is to the one who has called us, and our orientation to the, as an athlete is to playing by the rules that the one who has called us has set. And when it comes to being a farmer, in verse number 6, our orientation is to the harvest. This, beyond any shadow of a doubt, is the most difficult of the analogies to sift through. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Whatever it means or doesn't mean, folks, it has to fit under the framework of verse number 3. It somehow fits within the framework of you then endure hardness. And Paul points out that the, that the farmer, the husband one, husbandman, must be the first to eat the fruit. That's what he's saying. He's not saying the farmer gets to eat the fruit. That would probably be the way that we would say it. He says he must. Here's what I would understand Paul to be saying. Since you must be the first to enjoy the fruit of your labor, you will be the most, you have the most to lose if you cease laboring. And I don't think anybody would suggest even in the 21st century that being a farmer is an easy job. But it was certainly among the most physical of jobs in Paul's world. The farmer labored. But if he doesn't labor, there's no harvest. The good crops don't just grow themselves. He is a husbandman. He tends to both the animals and the agriculture. In other words, folks, no one with the, exception, with the exception of Christ has more at stake in their own faithfulness than does the believer. This is similar to what we explored this morning. That God is generous and gracious to reward the labors of his people. Somebody pointed out to me at the end of it. They said, one thing is also true, Pastor. Nobody gets more for doing less. And that's true. Nobody got more for doing less. And in fact, folks, I would just point out to you that in each each of the three illustrations there is a selfishness in the orientation if you want to argue it that way. Why am I enduring hardness as a soldier so that I may please him so that the one who has called me will be pleased with me? Why am I playing by the rules as an athlete Because there is a crown at stake and I would like to have it. Why am I doing the hard work of a farmer? Because there is a crop to harvest and I want the reward for my labor. It's not altruism that drives us, folks. It's not altruism. So first, Timothy, Be strong in grace in the strength that is not yours but that comes from Jesus Christ. And Timothy, labor to please the one who has chosen you. And finally, chapter 2 and verse number 7. Timothy, may Christ the source of your understanding. It's a beautiful verse, number seven. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. It is a fabulous blending of the way God works in this world, in the lives of his people. Put your mind to what I have said. We could extend the analogy this way. Put your mind to the Bible. Consider. Put your mind upon the words of the text of Scripture. Think about it. Contemplate it. Meditate upon it. Digest them. It is true, folks, that our minds are fallen by their sin nature, but it is also true, Romans 12, 2, that they are renewed by the Holy Spirit. Consider what I say. And it is in the mind, folks, not really in the emotions. It is in the mind that God will bring his truth to bear upon us so that we come to understand it. So that its meaning makes sense to us. Anybody can get a Bible. Probably in most American homes, the least religious of homes, somewhere there is a Bible. They all say the same thing. But not everybody values what it says the same. So Paul says to Timothy, consider what I say. Put your mind to it. Don't be like the man who takes a glance at the Bible goes his way and is then untouched by what he saw. But understand this, Timothy, it will be the Lord who brings to comprehension. Your task is to put your mind to it, to try and get to the understanding of it, to think about how this Bible doctrine might apply to that Bible doctrine. But the understanding that comes from the Lord, the comprehension comes from him. Timothy, consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. So we are asking the Lord for wisdom. We are asking the Lord for insight. And we have our minds upon the scriptures So that, folks, at the end of his life, Paul was not magnifying himself to Timothy. Timothy, it's, it's all going to fall to you now. I'm, I'm getting ready to leave, and it's, it's all going to rest upon your shoulders, and you're going to have to man up and take the responsibility. It was, Timothy, you're going to have to orient your life to Christ. You're going to have to get your strength from him, You're going to have to recognize that he is your master and you're going to have to get your understanding from him. A life oriented to Christ. Let's pray. And so Lord God may it be that these things are placed before us regularly. That our minds are little engines of thinking about Bible truth and its proper meaning and application. The wisdom and the understanding come from you. So that our service, Father, is oriented rightly toward pleasing you in anticipation in the future, and our strength comes from you through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Make us to be a faithful people, please. In His name we ask. Amen.